It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you, kids? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. There's my audience. And thank you, fake band. Thank you, fake audience. Hello, everybody. Hope you all had a good weekend. Let's see. Oh, there I am. Hello, everybody. We've got Floyd Armlin, Rip Wagner, Nancy Khalil, Darren Fletcher, Jerry Jennings, Rip Wagner, Lou Lewis, Ken Mesford, Martin Gravel, Gary Schmidt, Bob Gunnerfeld, Ken Bearden, Greg Carroza, Gloria Covington, John Pearson, Alex Dillon, Andre Stepanian, Let's Talk Fish, <laughs> Amanda West, woohoo, all the way from the UK, L. Harrison, uh, Anthony Franz, Michael McGraw, Joseph Alonzo, Uwe Shai, Donna Thomas, Dean Turner, Dave Barrett. Wow, the gang is all here. You guys turned out in big numbers for this one. Glad to see that. It's going to be a great show. Ireland, sorry. I was close. You know, it's in Great Britain. Is it all inclusive? Rick Cabot, Podmore, Peter Rahill, Cass McKenty, Songs from a Headband. Jeff Comas, hello from Tennessee. Howdy, Jeff. Welcome to the show. Ray Dowling, Dan Marcus, Il Rosso Emil. Wow. <sighs> Man, the British Isles. There we go. Daryl Berman, hello. Dave Freeland. Um, Alan Hall, wow. Chuck Erling, Greg Vaughn. Man, oh man. Kip Johnson, Hollywood. I don't know how you pronounce that. Hollywood Dross? Pete Mason, Ronald Schultz, Jim Stamper. Man, oh man. Um, Lisa Erickson. Lisa Erickson twice. Lisa Erickson, Lisa Erickson. So, uh, yeah, it is a big time roll call. So, before we start, everybody go take a split second and smash that like button. I noticed we've been uh, having lower like button hits lately. Bonzo says, Michael, I have a success story. Yay, want to hear that. Um, John Williams. Is it the John Williams? <laughs> Dean Turner. Ray Dowling. Uh, yeah, my computer seems to be fine at the moment. I uh, haven't had any... I did have one little glitch uh, loading my email client the other day. Still waiting to see how bad it gets. Of course, I'm going to wait until the computer dies before I buy a new one. I just don't want to spend like 3000 bucks on a new computer. Um, all right, there we are. There's that. Scooch that over a bit. There we go. Um, so that you guys all have a good weekend. Um, how many of you, give me plus ones if where you live you are allowed to start going out and stores are opening up with social distancing and restaurants and all that kind of stuff. Are you guys starting to feel and you know, see and feel a little freedom where you are. Yay, a lot of plus ones. Plus one in Norway. Daryl Berman, Orlando, yay. Jim's open in restaurants in Miami, yeah. Greg Carroz is allowed, but he's still staying home. 
will there be a rally this year? Yeah, like I've said, Jerry, you've probably missed this uh, commentary in the previous episodes of Taxi TV. Uh, we are still planning on having a road rally. We talk to the hotel all the time. We're waiting for our governor and the mayor of Los Angeles to say, yes, you can do it. As of right now, no, we can't. But we're also five months out. Uh, hello, Edmund Red, Richard Carr, piano. Uh, yeah, it's true, El Harrison. Lots of clowns out there not wearing masks. You know, we're required in LA to wear a mask if you go to a grocery store. And uh, I see people in grocery stores all the time that aren't wearing masks. It's heartbreaking. Um, all right, so Bonzo, do me a favor. Send your member deal to TaxiTV at Taxi.com so we can get you in the newsletter this coming month. Anyway, okay. So in a minute, I am going to call, hello, Ronald Schultz, Linda Cullum. We will write you a song. Hello. Uh, so anyway, I'm really excited to have this person on the show with me today. Um, you know what? I'm not going to say anything now. I'm just going to call him up and let's get the ball rolling on this. Uh, let me see, there's my phone, there's the phone number, hello, hello, how are you? I'm good, mystery music library owner. Nice to have you on the show. Good to be on as well, but it, there's actually a lot of noise on the line for some reason. Really? You know what? I'm going to hang up and call you right back. Want to send me right back? Yep, I'll call you right back. And we even tested out the phone connection earlier today. Sometimes, with live television, things don't always go exactly as planned. Hello? Hi. Is that better, I hope? Much better. Yeah. Wow. It was really loud, a lot of static for some reason. All right, well... Can you uh, hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you great. How about you guys in the chat room? Can you hear the mystery uh, music library owner, Okie Dokie? Hi, everybody. Hope everyone's doing super well. Hello, Ann House. All right, everybody's saying sounds very good, loud and clear. Yay. All right, Perfect. well, I am really thrilled to have this gentleman on the show. Um, he, like I said in the email that went out, he's no longer a taxi member. Um, uh, there's a good reason for that. He now has a successful music library that he runs. Um, Taxi had uh, something to do with the startup of that. I mean, we don't have any ownership or we're not partners or anything with him. Um, but he was a successful Taxi member that, I don't know, two, three, four years into his membership, he called me up and said, uh, 
hey, I'm thinking about starting a music library. Would it be okay if I ran listings? Well, normally we don't take on brand new libraries unless it's somebody that has been, you know, like vice president of a successful library and they're leaving to start their own and they've got their connections, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I know this gentleman to be extremely ethical, which is very important to us, um, extremely hardworking, very business savvy. And so I said, tell you what, normally I wouldn't do this, but how about if we start out where you just run um, non-exclusive listings and let's see how it goes. And if it works out, great. And if it doesn't work out, no harm, no foul, because it was non-exclusive and uh, no, you know, nobody can get hurt in that situation. So he said, okay. And I am very, very proud of the hard work that he's put in. Um, he seems to get everything right. And in a matter Thank of you, oh, you're welcome. In a matter of a few short years, has turned it into a, a successful music library. So I want to start out by asking you to tell the story about um, your first taxi road rally and something uh, a chance meeting that really kind of got you going on your path. Um, first of all, how many years were you a member before you came to the road rally? Uh, so I joined in 2011, uh, I believe either September or October, and uh, then I joined the taxi forums and I started to hear about this taxi rally and I had no idea what that meant. And the time came and, and went, obviously it was too close to the rally for me to make plans to get out to California. and. Uh, so 2011 was when I joined, and then 2012 would have been my first taxi rally. And um, oh, go ahead. No, I was I was just going to say um, the the first year was a tricky year, uh, as it can be for a lot of people. I didn't know a whole lot about the music industry, especially for. Uh, synchronization and licensing for film and television um, but I did a lot of reading in the taxi forums I did a lot of posting and asking questions and um, I slowly started to get a, a better sense of the different aspects of the industry the different ways where music can be used in the industry and um, so I, I kept submitting, and in the beginning, like with a lot of uh, other beginner taxi members, I was trying to fit the square peg in the round hole, um, taking music that I already had written and trying to pitch it to different listings that showed up. Um, and of course, that didn't work out so well. My forward percentage was very low, I only had a handful of forwards to the point where I, I thought, okay, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. And I talked to my wife uh, about it and she kind of encouraged me, no, you should, should, should keep at it. You should renew your membership and book a trip to the next taxi rally. And so that's what I did. And uh, after I booked the trip, there was um, another listing that came out and it was for it was one of those urgent listings. A music supervisor was looking for a theme song for a brand new show. And so I wrote something from scratch, I think in one evening and sent it in. 
and uh, that was my first uh, call back from a music supervisor, and I, I was blown away. I, I thought I was dreaming, literally. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I couldn't believe that somebody was reaching out for my music. So then you came to the road rally, and uh, what was your first impression? Now, I know that um, you're kind of like me. I mean, I'm, believe it or not, I know it's hard to believe for those of you watching the show that I'm sh not shy, but, um, you know, if I go to a party, I'm the guy that stands in the corner and, and talks to somebody that I know really well or talks to my wife. I'm not, uh, what's the word? I don't have an outgoing personality. I'm a completely different yeah. person in real life than I am here on the show. <laughs> uh, and, and you're not dissimilar, right? Uh, you're, I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe not shy. What's the word you described yourself as uh, when we were on the phone? Uh, introverted, right? Introverted, yeah. Yeah, I, I would say that I would qualify as an introvert and so going to that first rally was very scary for me in fact uh, a good friend of mine who's an extreme extrovert decided to fly out with me to the rally that year and so we shared a, a room so he came as my guest and he said oh I'm going to take care of you I will introduce you to everybody and uh, so that was the plan but once I got to LA and got to the hotel, I started to recognize faces. And so I, I just felt really natural to go up and introduce myself to the people that I knew their faces or I started to recognize names from the forums. And I really did not need my friend that whole weekend. And it was just the most amazing uh, weekend for me because coming from a small, a small town myself, I always felt that, you know, this music business is something that's totally out of reach for me, not something that someone like me could be a part of. And uh, as, a, as a beginning member in Taxi, there's always that sense of, oh, is this for real? <laughs> and going to the rally really made it real for me seeing everybody there, seeing the successful members, seeing the industry folks that, um, you know, seeing everybody there and seeing all the classes and everything made sense and it, it was just, oh, this is for real. And I was just blown away and completely hooked on what Taxi does for all of us and I really hunkered down after that first rally and um, put my nose to the grinder, I guess you could say. So, I remember at that first rally, I think you came up to me either at the end of the rally, during the rally, or maybe right after the rally, and you let me know about a chance meeting you had in the bar area of the hotel. Can you tell everybody about that? Yeah, sure. That was a very amazing opportunity. Um, I actually, like I said just before the rally, I had my first call back from a music supervisor and then I found out that the music supervisor was going to be at the rally and um, by chance uh, she happened to be at the bar one evening and we, we had exchanged emails and she said I might be there on this day and just come and check in the bar area and I might be there and sure enough she was there and uh, we ended up 
sitting at the bar and probably talking for two to three hours. Wow. Uh, and so she gave me all kinds of information about the industry, and I asked her probably a thousand questions. And, uh, yeah, she was super generous with her time, and um, it, it was just a truly amazing experience to meet a, a, a music supervisor and, and get that one-on-one -on -one uh, time with with the music supervisor of that caliber was amazing. So it must have been a little scary because I know that music supervisor and she's very, um, very smart, um, very professional, totally knows yeah. the industry, and she's also very outgoing. Was that at all intimidating for you, being an introvert, to like have somebody two feet away from you that was so extrovert? Oh, yes, it surely was, but at the same time, so exciting. I, I had, you know, I always had that dream of, of doing something in music since I was young, and uh, it was one of those things that I thought, oh, well, I'm just not, it's not something that's for me, and then to have somebody of that caliber being excited about the music that I was producing and wanting to put it on a TV show, to me, it was just mind-blowing. So I think some of that shyness, I kind of had to let it go and just be in the moment and be super excited uh, about the opportunity. Um, do you remember if she had any tips for you at that uh, first meeting when you spoke for two or three hours? Um, did she have any specific tips about your music? Did she have any tips about navigating the industry, anything like that? Or was it mostly just, you know, what kind of music do you make? Uh, where did you grow up? How long have you been doing this? That kind of stuff. Um, I can't remember about specific tips and I'm, I'm probably, I probably would have asked her quite a few things. Uh, I think I remember at the time because it was something that I wrote specifically for a listing and in a style that I probably had not really done something quite like that before. I probably asked her something to the effect of, should I, should I continue to write music in this style? Um, and the answer was probably, well, maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. You should stick to what feels right to you as an artist, uh, was what I think was the answer. Um, and then I think I would say 90% of the time just turned into a personal conversation uh, about ourselves and about the things that we like outside of music. So it became very informal. Wow. Which so I think is kind of the key to uh, relationships in the industry is to not, yes, the music is a big part of it, but to get to know somebody personally and actually um, establish a personal relationship that, with them um, creates a, a different bond that then can lead to uh, future opportunities. So did she that ask trust that gets established? Did she ask you stuff like you're from Canada, so do you like beer and hockey? <laughs> Probably, <laughs> I don't remember. But uh, we we did talk about a lot of things and. Um, and we, we were also interrupted a lot of times because, of course, we were in the bar area, so there was tons of other um, taxi members right there that knew who she was, so they would jump in and try to introduce themselves as well, which 
of course they were free to do. Um, so it, it turned into personal conversation and sometimes group conversations. You know, it's the magic of the rally and the magic of the bar area. See, I would have been swatting those other people away going, you know, get out of here. This is my music supervisor, <laughs> you interloper. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, out of all the music, well, I mean, all of them that I know that come to the rally, they're all, you know, nice people. They're normal people. They're like us. It's not like they're on a pedestal or they're, you know, godlike in some way. Yeah. Um, and once you meet them, you discover that. But out of all of the supervisors that you could have met at the road rally, that one may have been the best one just because she she's very genuine. She doesn't... Uh, you know, put on an act or anything. What you see is mm -hmm. what you get with her. So I'm glad yeah, that you, you broke the ice with exactly the right person. So after the She's a tough one to please, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, her bar is very, very high. Um, yeah. And, and she also came from uh, a background of working at a music agency, uh, uh, working on a lot of TV commercials. I think she'd worked at some libraries. So she had a really broad and deep uh, experience base, you know, and uh, man, you just lucked she's out. she's gone on to do amazing things after too. Oh, absolutely she has. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your membership in Taxi after that. So what are some of the things that like early mistakes you might have been making that other new members might make that you could tip them to not make, um, like maybe over submitting or you mentioned square peg, round hole, things like that. Do any others come to mind? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, definitely the square peg, round hole situation, trying to take music that you've previously written and just peppering a whole bunch of listings to see if, if, if it sticks to one of them. Um, that was a big mistake in the beginning, and then I, um, I, a lot, a lot of it is attributed to Taxi TV. Watching Taxi TV at the time, and you would talk about make sure that you read the listings very carefully, because the listings are super specific. And uh, of course, we're thinking, well, if my if my music is awesome, they will just like it and use it. But that's not the case. It has to be very specific for the opportunity. And so once I started to write specifically for listings, the ratio of forwards completely changed. It did a, a 180, 100%. Um, as far as other, other mistakes, I'm trying to think. Um, uh, another thing that I, that I would say is don't try to do it all yourself. Uh, one thing that I found was uh, key to success was collaborations. I had a very specific skill set, and I lacked and still do in a lot of other areas. So surrounding yourself with people that can fit, um, can fill the void in areas that you don't have the strength um, is a huge uh, advantage. And we talked about uh, at the time you could have music sitting on the shelf that you own 100%, but you will earn zero from it. Or you could uh, let in a co-writer and split it 50-50 and make a lot of money with it. 
Um, and so that was part of the key to my success, I think. I, on the taxi forums, I, I found some co-writers that I started to work with. Uh, and in fact, be, before I had that first deal with taxi, because of the taxi forums, my first placement was actually with one of those co-writers. Oh, nice. Where he was reached out to by uh, ABC around Christmas uh, it might have been the the 2011 year, perhaps. I'm not sure. And they reached out to him essentially a couple of days before um, Christmas, and they said, we have this special with Christiane Amampour that we're doing, and we found this song of yours on Bandcamp, and we want to use it. And he kind of sent me an email in a panic. He, he said, uh, they love the song, but I, I really hate to mix and master. Could you help me out? And so I took the song, remixed it, and remastered it, and we sent it off to ABC and struck the first deal. A couple of days later, they reached out again and said, would you custom compose a track for this other scene in the show? And so we literally got on Skype and within a couple hours knocked off a couple of ideas that we sent in uh, to ABC, and they liked one of them. we finalized the one track and sent it in, I think, on a Wednesday, and the show was airing on the Friday. <laughs> That's so the way it works. It was tight and was super exciting. That's great. Uh, so, ultimately, do you have any sense of how many libraries you got your music into through Taxi over those next two, three, four years before you actually started your own library? Hmm, uh, good question. I, I don't know the count, but I would probably think um, roughly 10 to 12 libraries. Wow. Uh, either either through Taxi Forwards or through the relationships forged either at the Taxi Rally or w- through co-writers, but it, it all it all goes back to Taxi, no matter how I look at it, even if not directly from a forward. And I just want everybody, I I know that you guys in the chat room who are regulars know this, but for people who might watch this video later, I didn't talk to this gentleman, our guest today, in advance of the show and say, do me a favor, tell everybody how wonderful Taxi is or Plug Taxi. (laughs) No, (laughs) absolutely not, no. It's not necessary, really. (laughs) Well, thanks. It's a great organization, and I'm just sad that I didn't join Taxi many years before I did. Had you had any um, significant experience with trying to place music in any form of media before joining Taxi? Or were you going the songwriting route or I want to be an artist route? What was your musical life like prior to Taxi? Yeah, it was the typical I want to be a rock star when I was a kid. I picked up my first guitar when I was 17, I think, and then had bands. Uh, at the end of high school and into college years, and then started a family and kind of shelved that idea. Um, and then years later, once the kids were out of diapers, I, I still had that urge to write music. So I set up a little home setup and and um, recorded a couple of songs and put them online. The internet, of course, was alive and well by then. And I actually met another taxi member on 
a site that doesn't even exist anymore. It was called the61.com. Oh, I remember that site. It was kind site. of like the first social media site for for artists and composers. It was a, an interesting setup that they had. But I met uh, somebody on there, and I don't know if I should say the name because maybe it gives away too much. But uh, she... She turned me on to Taxi and said, you should check this out. Have you ever considered writing music for film and television? And I said, I have no concept of what that would even entail. And she actually provided me several links to the Taxi Forum because I, even without being a member, I could still uh, create an account and go in and read those uh, threads. So she provide, provided me a bunch of links and I went in and, and read uh, through that information to try to understand uh, what I could. And I think less than a year later is when I joined. So, I forget what your question was. I think I probably went down a rabbit hole there. <laughs> Maybe a bit, but that's okay. It's all great information. <laughs> but okay, so you really hadn't done anything <clears throat> that was no, not at all. I had no clue what, how to even get started. Wow. Okay. So over time, your stuff ended up in ten or twelve different libraries, and uh, you had a day job, right? Um, and and that was you have a day job. You had a family, and how much time yeah. were you giving to your? career as a taxi member submitting to libraries and feeding libraries once you had those relationships? Uh, well, at the time I was, uh, after dinner, usually after the kids went to bed, was when I would go into the studio, look at the listings and see is there something that I want to write for. So usually in the evening, uh, if if I was trying to meet a deadline, I may go till 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Um, to get something done because um, being three hours away, if there was a midnight closing in, uh, in California, then 3 a.m. would be my cutoff. So if there was one of those urgent listings, I could potentially pull it off before 3 a.m. And, and submit it. Uh, but yeah, it was evenings and on the weekends I would put in a little bit extra time as well. And then once I started getting into some, some of the libraries, same thing, you start getting some briefs directly from the library owners and um, started writing for those, And um, but usually evenings and weekends. Um, and I mean, I, I know your wife and I know that she's been supportive. Um, and so many people have spouses that kind of think that this whole thing is a folly because look, we all know the odds of making money in the music business are really slim. However, by doing what you've done and so many other successful members following the sync path, you know, it may start out with pennies, but it grows over time. Um, how important I was it to have that support from your wife uh, during those early years into this day? Oh, without it, I wouldn't have done it. Um, I would have not gone to the rally uh, in 2012 without my wife uh, giving me the shove to go. Wow, that's uh, awesome. Being an introvert and, and, and all that, I would have been too 
too scared to go and um but with with her uh cheering me on i i i had the the courage to get on the plane and go to california for the first time and then go to a hotel and meet 2000 plus <laughs> other musicians and change my life that's great well uh I, I'm forever in her debt because I love seeing successful members and I love success or spouses of successful members that get behind what they're doing because that matters, you know? I mean, if you felt like you were doing something that was perceived as a folly around the house or that was unappreciated by your wife, that would have made it hard to stick with it or stay up late at night yeah. rather than, you know, cuddling up on the couch to watch Netflix or something. Um, it was generous on her part that... Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah, give her a, a hug for me when you get off the big show today. Um, tell us about... Are there oh, any... She just came and gave me a kiss. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> She's watching the show. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. Oh, that's really sweet. Um, well, tell her... Uh, oh, never mind. <laughs> I'll leave that alone. Um <laughs> It might disclose who you are. Uh, tell us about any like business things or business etiquette things that you learned along the way while you were a taxi member that you think contributed to your success. And by and the kind of success that I'm talking about, it's not just monetary, but the kind where library owners get to know you and reach out to you on their own, not just through taxi. Um, excuse me, they may reach out to you and a small handful of other people to submit to something, to submit to a brief that they've got where they think, oh, there's a guy who's responsible um, and there's a guy who will turn this around quickly and I know that whatever I get, whether it's right or wrong, will at least be high quality and they'll give it their best effort. What are some of the life lessons or business lessons you learned that you think helped you grow from being an early kind of unknowledgeable member into a more experienced and successful member? Well, I, I think it goes back to the very first uh, experience with the taxi, um, taxi forward and that music supervisor reaching back out to me. Um, it, it was an interesting situation because it was a theme song for a brand new show. And um, I, I didn't know any, any better. So what I did was, at the time, I was posting all the music that I was creating on SoundCloud. Okay. And so there was a, a, a quick wake-up call when the music supervisor said to me, do you have the track on SoundCloud? And I said, yes, can you please take that off right away? Wow. And I, I was super scared. I'm like, why, what's going on? And then she explained, well, if we're using a brand new piece of music, we don't want it to ever have been heard before anywhere, even if it's on SoundCloud. And so I think in that moment uh, was when I realized, uh, wait a minute, th we're not playing here. This is serious business. And uh, I, I nearly lost the deal uh, because of that. And so it really made me think twice about a lot of the aspects of how you navigate in, in the business. Um, and then from there, we actually ended up 
having a failure, quote unquote, because the song never made it as the theme for the show, which was super disappointing, but in hindsight was actually the best thing that could have happened. But again, I learned a very important lesson that you never have uh, the deal sealed 100%. There's always something that can change. And even though the music supervisor loved it, the, the producer loved it, the network turned around and said, yeah, we decided against having a theme song. We'll just go straight to the uh, show card or whatever they call it. So right. no, no music at the beginning. Um, the, the fantastic thing about that was that the producer really loved it anyway. And so um, they wanted to have the song in the show in some way, shape, or form. And so they reached out to me about producing not just uh, producing a full-length version of the song that I had done because I had created just a 30-second version for the theme. So they actually did a work for hire with me where I produced a full-length version of the song and then they ended up using it on two episodes of the show. Um, Sweet. But on top of that, I got to get on conference calls with these executive producers and other creatives of the show where we discussed the music and they gave me uh, feedback on what they wanted changed, et cetera, et cetera. And that led to long, uh, long-term relationships with these producers, which in the future have led to other work that has come my way either as a composer or now as a music licensing company. So let's talk about your transition from being just, and I say that in quotes, just a composer, uh, to becoming a music library CEO. Um, what was the pivotal moment or the pivotal time or thing that made you think, Gee, I wonder if I should start my own company. Well, there was a sense of curiosity of, of doing that for me for a while, and it goes back to some other company that I ran back in the late 90s, early 2000s, where I had a, a small net label with a lot of artists. And um, so there was that pull of, of trying to do something as a company again once I discovered this whole amazing world of film and TV music. Um, but uh, what happened was um, from, that, from that opportunity that I mentioned earlier about ABC around Christmas, the same executive producer reached out to me in 2014 so about three years later, he reaches out to me and says, uh, we have this show on ABC where uh, we need a lot of music and we love working with you. Would you be able to provide music for the show? And me being just one person, I knew that I couldn't do it all myself. But then that's where the light bulb went off. And I thought, well, I know a lot of, uh, I have now a lot of um, taxi, uh, taxi members that are friends of mine, we could probably pool a bunch of music together and make this happen. And that's when I reached out to you. Uh, even though I thought I, I, I thought I was taking a chance and that 
you would probably say no or maybe even not reply because you're super busy. But I thought I got to take a chance and tell Michael it's a it's a major network opportunity and this is what they're looking for. Could we try to do something? And thankfully, you said yes, and I will I will be eternally grateful to you for that. Um, if we rewind just a little bit, sure. so 2014, uh, 2014 rally I attended as a composer, but I already had this opportunity that had come to me just before the rally again. And for the first time, I got in line for the mentors. Because again, I was too shy to get in line, too shy to maybe even go to talk to a mentor. But I thought, I, I need to talk to a mentor, and the mentor that I picked was Adam Zelkind. Oh, great. Yeah, he, he's extroverted. <laughs> and uh, so we, we sat down for the 10 minutes or whatever that we had, and I showed him some of my music, and he said, yeah, that's great. And then I said, and by the way, I have this opportunity with ABC to do a show where they would want, and he said, whoa, 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 let's stop right there. He said, if you have opportunity with a major network, drop everything else and go for that. And so that was the final push that I needed to say, okay, I'm starting a company. And so I got back from the rally and um, I started the company. I almost said the name. <laughs> <laughs> I started the company and, um, yeah, and haven't looked back uh, since. And so now you make like, what, four or five million bucks a year, right? I'm sorry? I said, <laughs> I said, now you make like four or five million dollars a year, right? And it just started rolling oh, in. <laughs> if only, yes. That would be great. <laughs> um, <clears throat> tell us about uh, the other day you and I were t uh, talking on the weekend and uh, you were talking about patience and perseverance. So uh, I know how difficult and how uh, time-consuming it is for my staff when they're reaching out to people in the industry and they get frustrated when they send out, you know, 10 or 20 emails or maybe even 50 emails in a day and only get one response back. Um, for people who are inclined to think, oh, I can just send out emails on my own to the industry and once they hear my music, they're just going to swoon over it and start reaching out to me. Um, right. Yeah. How, how many uh, emails and phone calls, well, did you make in the beginning? And how long did it take to build up, you know, a, a kind of a cadre of companies that were working with you? And do you still have to make a lot of phone calls and send a lot of emails to get uh, opportunities for your library to pitch your music? Absolutely. That's a, a never-ending uh, struggle for sure. And especially for me, because when when I started the company, I literally had the one contact, the one deal where they wanted to use our music. So started to build a catalog and then it was like, well, we have one client. Well, where do you go <laughs> from there? If you don't have any, any other, um, any other contacts, you kind of have to build them. And so, um, you know, I got into cold emails, cold calling people, um, in every way, shape, or form that I could, um, which is extremely difficult for me. I, I don't feel that I'm a salesperson per se, 
but that's what was required and is required all the time. And um, and that's where I quickly found out that the agony that we feel as taxi members sometimes of not hearing back from a forward is amplified um, a millionfold as a music licensing company. You know, out of sending 2,000 emails out, um, you may not get any response. And then in the off chance that you do get a response, it may be uh, may not lead to an actual deal. So it, it can be very um, disheartening. And it just takes time and perseverance. Um, in that first year, I think we, I was able to find one other client, which ended up being a fantastic client in Canada, also on a major network, which was great. Um, and then going back to uh, the deal that I got from Taxi, where I got to work with, with those executive producers, um, you have to maintain those relationships. So I, I stayed in touch with all the people that I have relationships with, and you foster those relationships. And when an, uh, the opportunity comes along where there's a, a fit where they might want to bring you on board, sometimes they do. And so from those executive producers, I was able to get our company working for a Vice Network um, and some other shows on other networks. And that's something that will continue to pay for years to come as long as those people are in the business and know that we do good work. We're, we're an ethical company um, and we're professional and get them the music that they need. You know, you mentioned something that I'd like to elaborate on, which is the frustration members feel when they get a forward or they get three forwards or they get 18 forwards in their first year and they reach out to us right before it's renewal time and they say, geez, you guys, I've had my music forwarded by Taxi 18 times and not one of those production music libraries, not one of those music supervisors, Nobody has gotten back to me. How do I even know that you guys are actually sending my music to anybody? And how can it be that 18 people have gotten my music and not getting back to me? Um, can you explain kind of what it's like now that you're on the other side of the coin, uh, being the owner of a library? Um, do you get back to people when, let's say that you run a taxi listing, which you now do regularly, and let's say that uh, we forward you 76 pieces of music for a particular thing and you end up signing, I'm guessing, something like four or six out of that batch. Do you reach out to all the people that you're not going to offer a deal to? And if not, why not? To the people we're not offering a deal? Right. No, I would never do that. And why would you um, never do that? Well, for one... People don't want to hear bad news, and uh, <laughs> then true. they may question why not, and so then uh, it would turn into a lengthy, uh, lengthy email thread back and forth, um, which would tie up uh, an ungodly amount of time of myself and my staff. So it's, I, I think it's best to to not reply in in a case where you don't, you can't use the music. Um, but for the the music that we do want, but I wanted to back up a little bit on that question, though, Michael. Sure. Um, 
in the aspect of around the aspect of the not hearing back sometimes it takes us a while to actually review the music and uh, get back to writers um, that we want to sign sign music from and that could be from because of a million reasons um, like I mentioned with that show my first taxi deal where they literally wanted that song for the theme and then it didn't happen so that happens to us often where maybe a company wants a certain style of music and we run the listing and then by the time we get the the forwards from taxi maybe the producers have changed their mind or the music supervisor changed their mind and they don't want that style of music anymore it doesn't mean that we throw it in the garbage but it means that I may I, I usually have a, a folder where I may have a couple of listings sitting there where I don't need that music right away. But once I do have time to go back and re-review it, uh, then we'll make a decision on who we want to move forward with. That makes sense. I hear that from virtually every music library owner that I know. Um, that and that can be a long time sometimes, you know. I've had uh, taxi forwards that I've gone back to over a year later, easily, because things get busy and you just don't have the time. So it's if there's downtime or if that particular request comes up again, then you would go into that folder and pull the music and contact those members. Yeah, people always ask me, you know, how long will it take before I hear back? And my answer to that is you'll probably never hear back unless they want the music. And they, you know, they might be pitching to a show that's got a deadline of 72 hours from now. And they find the three things that they think are going to hit the nail on the head. They send those off to the show. And everything else, like you said, just sits in a folder. And maybe six months nine months, a year later, we had one case that went like seven years later where one of the yeah. uh, library owners went, oh yeah, I remember years ago, I got a folder full of stuff from Taxi that was really good, that was exactly what they're asking for. They went back to that folder and that library ended up signing some members seven years later. That said, I wanna let yeah. the people know who are watching the show, don't get precious just because something from taxi has been forwarded don't then keep it on a drive or keep it on the shelf figuratively speaking um, and not send it else out elsewhere you want to send it uh, as many places as you can even if you're waiting to hear back on somewhere that it was forwarded to because the worst thing that could happen would be you have two people that want that piece of music and you tell the first person all right you got it and the second person who comes back to you say, sorry, that one's been signed already, which actually makes you look more desirable because it's a credibility builder. And you say, but I can create other ones for you that are very much in that same vein. Is that a, a true statement? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's very much true, especially now. Um, in the beginning, we, we started off signing music uh, all non-exclusively, but now we we do really mostly most of what we sign is exclusive. So we're we're looking for people that can compose brand new music for us anyway. Um, so sometimes if the if the particular piece of music has been already signed, that's fine as long as they can 
produce something in the same style, which which kind of leads me to another thing that I wanted to mention is um, when we do receive music from Taxi, say it's just one song, we get an MP3, we get the contact information, and then as a company we like to do a, a little a little bit of vetting. So we like to try to see if can I find this person online? Do they have a website? Uh, is their music up on SoundCloud or somewhere where I can stream and see that they're actively producing music um, of this particular genre that I'm interested in? Uh, are they, um, um, yeah, are, are they an active, an active composer? Can they produce music for me? If, if I reach out to them, do I see a potential that they can do some work for us? So there's, there's a, whole, uh, a whole process of vetting that we go through um, to try to understand whether it's going to be a, a, a relationship that will work for us and for the writer. Um, so I encourage people to have some kind of online presence. Um, where they post actively the music that they're working on, um, the specific genres that they're strong in, especially. That's something that we look for, um, are people that are super strong in a particular genre. Um, sorry, I'm typing something, but I'm just going to say it. Uh, Mojo Bone just said, uh, last time I checked, we had 3,000 members at Taxi. Mojo, that must have been like, 15 years ago. Uh, we never give out the number, um, but if the person who keeps repeatedly asking in the in the chat room, how many members does Taxi have? Most of the time when people ask that question, they wanna know how many members we have because they're thinking, wow, all those members, that's a lot of competition, but there is no competition at Taxi because we're not saying this one's better than that one, so we're gonna forward it. It's either it's good enough and on target enough and it gets forwarded or it's not. So it doesn't matter if we've got 300 members, 3,000 members, 30,000 members. It's not a competition. You are not competing against your fellow members. So there you go. Um, okay, so getting back, sorry about that. Uh, I just had to answer that because the gentleman kept asking the same question no over and over and then somebody gave out a wrong answer. Um, it's now that you're a library owner um, versus just, and I say that in, uh, in quotes, uh, versus just being a composer. Um, do you find that you see problematic behaviors or lack of etiquette or mistakes that inexperienced people are making? Um, what do you see on the receiving side of the coin, being the person looking for music? that uh, things that people could fix or change in their behavior? Um, I actually uh, took a little bit of time last night and, and wrote down a couple of points of kinds of some do's and, and don'ts, so I can kind of go through a little bit of that. Absolutely. Uh, one thing that irritates um, most people in the industry, there are exceptions, is people sending mp3s in an email um, a lot of us hate that it takes up space in people's inboxes you have to actually download it before you can listen to it 
Um, so music supervisors and most people in the industry, if you're if you're sending something out to them, I would recommend uh, a platform like Disco, for example, where you can easily stream and fast forward um, the music to different sections of the waveform. Because usually we're not listening to an entire piece of music. We're listening to the beginning, maybe jump to the chorus, see if the ending works, and then if that uh, seems right, then maybe we'll go back and re-listen a little bit more carefully. But we're, we're essentially looking to uh, fastest process of elimination to be able to zero in on what works. Um, so that's one recommendation. Um, another one, when it comes to taxi, please do not submit music to listings uh, that you're not interested in actually signing music to. It seems ridiculous. Often. Yeah, it seems ridiculous, but I know from having many other friends that own libraries that it happens all the time. Tell us like, how that goes down. What's that phone call or email exchange like when you get a piece of music, reach out to somebody because you like it and you'd like to sign it, and they say? Well, uh, this happens most often with, with artists. And uh, so we're trying to sign a song non-exclusively with them. Uh, they know that the terms are non-exclusive. It was in the listing. And um, then we send the agreement. We, we explain how our terms work. So we take all the time, and then we don't hear back from them. And then eventually we ask again, so are you still interested, or do you have questions about the agreement? And they go, well... I don't think this is going to work for me. And then they, they say something to the effect, either my, um, could be that the, their lawyer recommended that they shouldn't give away any of the publishing. So that's one, one whole conversation in itself. Could be that they have a manager that thinks it's not a good idea. <laughs> or in a lot of cases, it seems like they're holding off for potentially a label deal. Which, in, if that's the case, they shouldn't have submitted to a music uh, licensing deal in the first place. Um, they should just submit to listings that are going to labels. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a variety of things that can happen in those conversations. So that's, that's another uh, thing that I would recommend because it, it just wastes people's time. Um, and it, it's totally fine if they're holding out for the label deal, then they should wait for that. But I think they're kind of on the fence and they're not sure, so they pepper um, their submission across multiple listings that seem like their music will work for, and uh, they may end up calling, getting a call from a company like ours, and then uh, it, it's just a waste of time for everybody. I, I think sometimes people just so badly want to be acknowledged that they're, what they're doing is good and that they submit it to something, like you said, submitting it to a film and TV opportunity versus a label opportunity. I wonder if they think, oh, well, uh, when they hear my music, they'll see how incredibly wonderful it is and they'll just open up the pearly gates for me and call somebody they know on the record side of the industry and say, hey, I got this for a movie I'm working on, but you should really sign this artist to your label. I, I, 
that's like the only thing I can possibly imagine that would make people submit right. a, a song to a, a film or TV listing when they're really after a record deal. It just... Yeah, I'm not sure. But the sad thing is that, uh, ironically, these days a lot of label deals happen because of film and TV sync or ads or whatever. So right. it would be in their best interest to get a, a sync deal with somebody and, and end up with that song on a popular TV show. And then all of a sudden they get discovered by an audience, including potentially a label who then offers them a deal. But it's that, that feeling, I guess, of being uh, very precious of the one particular song when in reality, that's just one chapter of your life, and if you signed another, if you signed another deal with a label, then you could create brand new songs with that label and really launch your career. Absolutely. Um, do you have any other do's and don'ts? Uh, I got a big list here, Michael. <laughs> Go ahead. We still have a half an hour, so you got plenty of time. Okay. So the other one is. Do not sign admin agreements with digital distributors. And Michael, you and I have talked about this. We discussed this at the rally. There's um, uh, releasing your music through a digital distributor is a great idea. In fact, I encourage that. But you have to be careful because some of them, and this is not a bad business practice, they just offer this, an option of uh, these admin agreements that you can essentially check a box and they become your administrator for certain aspects of, of that particular piece of music. And when you do that, it then it, beca it becomes problematic for you to be able to sign that music with other publishing agreements legally because you're essentially in conflict. So you have to be careful um, about that because if you're interested in exploiting sync opportunities you don't want to encumber yourself in those types of agreements even though there's nothing wrong with them but if you're pursuing sync licensing you shouldn't be signing those uh, entering into those agreements yeah I think people do it reflexively because they're getting ready to distribute their music with CD Baby or TuneCore again both of them are fine companies they're not doing anything untoward or under, underhanded but if they have that question during the uh, you know sign up process, would you like us to monetize your music? Sure, and you check that box, you are entering into one form of a publishing agreement or other. Therefore, you can't submit your music through Taxi or anywhere else to other publishers because you are already published. So um, it's a mistake. How often do you run into this with people that you reach out to and say, I'd like to pick up the song and add or a song or instrumental, add it to our catalog and find out that they, while you're doing your due diligence and you find out that they do, in fact, already have a publishing agreement in place that they weren't even aware of sometimes? Um, that they have a publishing agreement. That does happen, but the admin ones with those companies that you mentioned, that right. hasn't come up yet, even though we ask every time before we sign the music. And 
we get them to confirm that, in fact, they did not check the box for those agreements before we um, signed those songs. Um, but I can't recall uh, running into any cases where they did check the box and we were about to sign the song and said no. So that hasn't happened yet, but we, we are always uh, double-checking with them before we sign. Right, it's become the new thing that libraries all have to do. Um, any other do's and don'ts? That's part of our due diligence. Yep. Um, yeah, when people say, gee, why do libraries get ha half of the money? It, they don't realize. They think it's as simple as you take their song and put it in an online database uh, and then go knocking on doors of everybody in the film and TV industry to see who, you know, here's a great new song we've got. Wouldn't you just love to use this? They don't understand that there's all this, uh, you know, um, accounting work and, and organizational stuff and the hundreds of phone calls and emails, all this back end stuff that they never see. That's how you earn your money, right? Yeah, there's, there's so much work. And that kind of takes us to the next do not, okay. which is do not register new music with a PRO unless you have made a decision that that particular piece of music will always be licensed non-exclusively. So this happens often. People will write a piece of music and they immediately go uh, sign it with the PRO or um, yeah, register with the PRO. But if then um, they submit through taxi to an exclusive company, we will be registering that particular piece of music with us as the publisher. So we don't want to have to then now have have to have paperwork with them to go to the PRO to make the changes so that we become the publisher. It just becomes a lot of admin work that's unnecessary. So do not register the piece of music until you've made that decision. Now, as a composer, one thing that I've made a conscious decision after several years with Taxi was when I write a piece of music, deciding, okay, am I going to pitch this piece of music non-exclusively, or am I okay with this music living in, living exclusively in a catalog? And once I make that decision, that becomes the decision for that piece of music for its lifetime, rather than saying, well, I'm going to put it into an exclusive catalog and then I will pull it out in a couple of years and then I will make it non-exclusive. Or, or the opposite, which would be even worse, putting it in a bunch of non-exclusive catalogs, then pulling it out after several years and then saying, oh, I'm going to sign it with this person exclusively, when technically that piece of music could never be exclusive to that company after it's been non-exclusive with others. Because if it has been used in the past, then it does exist in a non-exclusive way out in the world. And I know I'm getting into the weeds with this conversation. It's a little bit heavy. But the bottom line is don't register your music with the PRO until you've signed it with a publisher, really, is what I'm saying. Right. I mean, there are different cases where you would want to register it with a PRO. That's but, right. But when you're dealing with the music library, and, and just for anybody watching this that's not familiar with the term production music library, those are publishers that are specifically interested in pitching your music to film and television. Um, 
it's different than a regular publishing deal where you're writing songs for, let's say, Sony ATV or Warner Chapel or Universal Music Pub, and they're pitching your stuff to, you know, Beyonce level artists or Lady Gaga, whoever, you know, the pop act uh, of the year is. That's a different kind of publishing deal. And that's a whole different thing that I don't want to get into discussing right now because we're on this film and TV thing. But uh, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to to pay for the registration, do the work for the registration when you're hopefully going to ultimately sign with a production music library and they're going to register it um, on their own. So don't make them do the extra work and why should you waste your money and waste that work effort? Um, give us an... Uh, yeah, if you're not sure, then wait for for the time after you've signed and then talk with your publisher and say, if you're not sure, ask them, do I register, do you register? And they'll be happy to tell you what what will work for them and what needs to be done. Right, exactly. Oh, yeah, Michael Mission says it doesn't cost anything to register your works with ASCAP. Uh, uh, that's true. Uh, also, registering a copyright. Um, the same. And that's why I was talking about where it actually costs money. If you register uh, a song, uh, if you copyright a song with uh, the copyright office, you know, you register a copyright. That's normally a good thing. However, let's say you do an instrumental cue. That's a ninety-second uh, tension instrumental cue and you are desirous of getting that into a production music library, again, they're going to register the copyright. Um, so if you've already registered it, then you've got to do all kinds of paperwork to transfer the registration. Is that true? Did I get that right? Yeah, precisely. <laughs> okay. So avoid that altogether um, by waiting until you have a deal with a publisher that you, you're going, is going to represent your music and then have that discussion with them. Now, if you're going to self-publish and try to maybe pitch your music directly to music supervisors, et cetera, which is possible but very difficult, then perhaps in, those, in that situation, you, you could register it uh, yourself, uh, register it uh, with a PRO, um, but if you're interested in, in working in licensing and sync and potentially work with music licensing companies, then don't tie up your music with those registrations until you've uh, established those relationships uh, and sign those agreements with the publisher and then uh, figure out what the best path forward is from that point. Right. Um, got any more things on the don't do this list? No, the do not list is done. So now I have some do's. Okay, let's hear The them. first one was about the online presence. We've already talked about that one. Uh, we like to see what the track record is for the, for the artist and composer, whether they're currently uh, actively writing, what genres are their strongest, do they already have placements and similar productions to those we work with. So that would be a, a very strong one there. For example, they already have music with another library that maybe had uh, their songs placed in a particular show or their instrumental production cues placed in a particular show that we just started working with. Well, that to me would communicate, oh, this person already knows how to write for that show 
that we need music for, so I definitely want to potentially pursue a business relationship with them as well. Um, the next do was, do become a lifelong student of the business. And so in, in this, there's a few things. There's understanding terms of standard agreements in the music licensing business. So understanding what non-exclusive, exclusive means, and, and all that information is available in, you know, countless taxi TVs that are all archived on YouTube. Um, taxi forums would have tons of information, and, and there's books out there. There's tons of resources to educate yourself. Um, learn the different ways music is used in the business. So film and TV is a very specific part of the music industry. And if you think of, well, I have this song, somebody should be able to use it. Well, look at how music is used in different shows. Is it being scored to picture? If it is, likely they have a composer. So if that's what you really want to pursue, then you would have to learn how to become an actual composer that would score a TV show or a film. That could be an avenue for you. Um, if you want to be creating production music for libraries and, and, and companies like ours, then study documentary uh, shows and how cues are used, reality shows, sports, game shows, kids shows, crime investigation shows. There's a, lots of different ways out there that music is being used. So study those uh, different ones and see where there may be a fit of music that you love to do and how you could bridge it over to format it in a way that's used in our industry. You know, if I can interrupt for a moment, that leads me to something I've said before, and I'd like to reiterate it, which is a lot of people who are unfamiliar with the, the music for film and TV side of the industry think that it's like the record side of the industry where you just have to write a great song. It's all about the great song. They don't realize that it's about what a great song is in our corner of the industry is having the right song for what somebody needs. You're solving a problem for them. I need right. a, a sad song for when this family comes back from a funeral and they're all sitting around the living room talking about how much they miss the person who passed away. You could have the greatest song in the world, but if it's not sad and doesn't fit the storyline um, or the emotion or the mood of the scene, it's just a great song that won't work. And they're not going to redo their story or their scene because they've heard a great song from you. So Pedro's advice exactly. is very well taken. And I've always said the best thing you can do is sit down and look for TV shows that have the kind of music in the genre that you're comfortable in and do well with, and then take notes on a legal pad about, uh, first of all, it's extremely rare that they use an entire song. Most of the time it's just the chorus. Um, and if it's an instrumental cue, they could use five seconds, 12 seconds, 32 seconds. It's extremely rare that they would use the whole cue. So just as pay just as our mystery person said, um, almost blew that, um, you've got to understand how music is used. Um, and that will help you make better music if you understand that they don't like long intros, because you'll rarely hear an intro. Um, 
if you don't understand what a button or a stinger ending is, um, watch shows and you'll hear what a button or a stinger ending is because they're all over. Yeah, it's like with, with any other uh, profession, you have to learn uh, the, the craft. And, uh, and it, what works for one particular thing doesn't work for the other. And so each of the, and the types of, of shows or the types of productions demands a certain style. And so if you want to become good in a particular production type, you need to study that style. People that become excellent at trailer music, it's a very specific style. Um, or advertising music, like every every different type of production requires a certain style. Reality shows have a certain style. Um, so it's really a, a, about studying the style of, of the type of production you want to be involved in and seeing where does my particular art form fit in. And it goes back to the thing that you say all the time, uh, Michael, about people not wanting to let go of the artistic piece. Right. And you always say the, the, the great analogy of you can paint houses during the day and then paint a masterpiece at night. So because you're creating music for a purpose for a client does not mean that you can't turn around and then the next day create a piece of art that is for you. You know? Have you ever found as a composer um, that doing music that was for film and TV, kind of music to order, did that make you feel any less good about being um, a creator, a songwriter, a composer? Did you ever feel like, wow, I'm kicking it down a few notches and doing crappier music? No, absolutely not. In fact, quite the opposite, because if you're writing for what the client needs, it forces you to learn. It forces you to learn different techniques. It forces you to maybe uh, learn, like I did in, in my beginning years at Taxi, I would try genres that I had never done before. Uh, in fact, I did one piece of EDM music. I had never done EDM music. And if I look back at my PRO statements, that particular piece of music is probably my top earner historically. Wow. And it's not even a genre that I work in. So it, it, if you push yourself, then um, happy accidents will happen, let's say. But you're learning different production techniques, you're learning different styles, which then just adds to your overall knowledge as a producer, as a composer, as a musician. Um, and as an, uh, as an engineer and producer as well, because that's a hurdle for a lot of people. They're not that good with their home studio stuff, whether it's Logic or Pro Tools, what have you. Um, did you find that you got to be much more efficient in how quickly and how well you operated your studio from having to do stuff, you know, and turn it around quickly and do a lot of it? Uh, consistency makes you better, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I found that working to deadlines of those urgent briefs or, or listings um, really made me a better producer. And I, I ended up creating music that 
not in a million years I would have imagined something like that could come out of me. So being under the gun of the deadline and following what the listing said uh, really forced me outside of my comfort zone, which then made me more comfortable in general with the demands of the industry, which brings me to the other point is that sometimes um, people in this, the industry are going to ask you for changes. Right. So as a, as a um, music licensing company, when we receive music even from our own writers, we often ask for changes. Um, and that does not mean the music isn't great. It just means that we have a way that we understand that um, if with some slight changes, it can be that much more usable to the client. Um, because ultimately the goal is to take that piece of music and make, uh, make money from it for ourselves and for, and for the composer. It's, it is the music business. Um, so if we can make a piece of music much more usable to an editor, we will ask for that change. And so as a composer and as a, as an artist in this industry, you have to be open to requests for changes. You can't think that, Oh, they are criticizing the way that I did it. I feel that this is the best way of how it should be formatted. I love it this way. That's fine. And we probably love it as well, but we're also trying to make it so that our client can use it. And uh, oftentimes I'll hear a piece of music and think, wow, I, I would love to listen to this music for pleasure. And oftentimes I do. I'll take songs from our artists and add them to my own personal playlists. And I will listen to them in the car. And it just it's part of my soundtrack that I listen to um, as a music listener. But then when it comes to the actual business, I may ask for changes that will make it more usable for the format that we see it um, working in. Uh, and just so everybody knows, uh, you've referenced editors a couple of times. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, I'm hoping to get an editor, a video editor that does a lot of uh, reality shows on an episode of Taxi TV. So that, Fantastic. Yeah, that the editor can tell people, look, this is what I look for. This is how I use it. These are, you know, like uh, when we had uh, Laurel at the Road Rally, uh, who's a very high-end yeah, yeah, editor. And, and she said something that blew everybody away, which is, forget the intro. intro. Try something like, a, you know, boom, into, you know, a drum turn into the first uh, bar of your thing, because that gives me something exciting um, that I can use as an editor to start the queue out with. And everybody in the room went, oh my gosh, that's great info. So uh, got a yeah, couple... Especially reality or sports or game shows, anything like that where, you know, they're trying to grab your attention into the next scene. Uh, something like that would be great for sure. Yep. Um, a couple more do's? Um, not so... Yeah, there's one here. Uh, I recommend do become excellent in your style. Um, too many people will ask me, what music do you need? And my answer usually is, I I'm looking for great music. And so this is where there's that sense of sometimes trying to chase a genre or style that you're not proficient in um, could be a good use of your time. 
if you're just doing it as an exercise to learn, but if you're expecting to become proficient in that style and compete against other people that are already proficient, don't expect that to happen overnight. It takes a long time to get there. So especially with beginners, I would say, whatever style you're most comfortable in, do that one. And if you need uh, other people that, or if you need certain elements that you can't pull off, then collaborate with other people. Um, and then in time, if you have extra time, then maybe try to learn a different style or try to do a taxi listing that's in a completely different style than what you're used to, just just to learn. Um, but as a, as a music library, I'm looking for people that are excellent in a particular style that I can easily pitch to a client and they will say, oh, this is 100% authentic. We want to use this. Right. Authenticity is a big part of the game. Oh, look, my wife just came home. I told her I forgot today was Monday and the show would be over at 5. So I said, come, come home before 4 or uh, after 5. But here we are in the middle of the show. Hi, Dad. <laughs> he says hi. Don't say, don't say his name. <laughs> I almost blew it. I said half of the first syllable. <laughs> okay we've only got five minutes of show left honey don't steal it <laughs> all right oh, wow, that went fast. yeah it really did but you've been great man this has been wonderful having you on the show let's talk about um things that people should put in metadata um people okay. often ask you know like well what what do i need to include and they don't really understand that uh the most important thing is the contact information, <laughs> but can you talk a, a little more right. length about what should go into metadata? Well, I think there's two sides to that conversation. So we yeah. often talk about metadata for artists, for example, and that's, say, you're pitching MP3s to, um, to a company like ours or to a music supervisor. Yes, the most important thing is that your contact information be embedded somehow inside of that MP3. Um, any additional information is great. I know music supervisors especially love to see cover art as well in the MP3s. Um, it kind of gives them a sense of the artist sometimes or the mood of the piece of music. The other side of that coin is metadata for libraries. And so that's a completely different world. And um, oftentimes we may ask composers to fill in some of that metadata, which then is more in-depth, things like the, a description of the piece of music, the moods, the styles, the genres, um, the style of, is it in a style of a particular show, or a particular uh, composer, so things of that nature. Um, so that, so there's the two sides. If you're talking about artist songs versus production music, metadata is a completely uh, different world between the two. Absolutely. Um, I find that most people, and if I were a composer or you know, a, a working musician, I, I might be guilty of this myself. If I didn't have the the skill set that I've developed, you know, owning and running taxi, 
people don't have a good idea of what they've just made. I'm really kind of bewildered that when somebody sits down uh, and does, uh, I can't, I'm drawing a blank, but somebody does a piece of music and, and if you walked up to them and figuratively speaking, put a gun to their head and said, all right, tell me what genre this is, they might get it wrong. A lot of times they do get it wrong. Uh -huh. Um, and they don't, yeah. and they're not really very well able to define the mood that the piece of music evokes. Do you have any suggestions? Can, uh, go ahead. I can totally relate to that, Michael, as, as a composer myself. If I was writing for a listing, then I would know because you guys provided what the genre is. Right. But if I was coming up with something on my own, just out of, inspiration sometimes it's di it would be difficult for me to categorize it um, because I didn't go into it with something in mind um, as far as tips for composers um, I would say maybe if that's something that you need to do would be to just practice and maybe practice with other composers maybe team up with a friend and say okay you struggle with uh, figuring out what genre your music is. Let me listen to your music, you listen to mine, and we'll kind of brainstorm back and forth. There's also companies out there that will um, review your metadata and for a fee provide you full metadata on songs and production music. Um, so there are some resources like that, but really it's about, it's, it's more about uh, just experience and, and exposure. Um, but yeah, I, Listening to your own music can sometimes be difficult. I I can totally relate to that. Uh, I'm holding up a copy of Steve Barden's book, Writing Production Music for TV, because he's got uh, in the appendix in the back of the book, he's got a list of moods and uh, and genres. And it, yeah. it is harder than ever with the genres today because there's so many subgenres and... Uh, you know, I, I struggle to keep up and I'm in the industry. Uh, sometimes I have to, I, I listen frequently to the references that we put out in the listings and that's the way that I've educated myself. So I would recommend that to everybody watching the show today, that if you see taxi listings and you go, do I really know what that genre is? Listen to the references. They will be in the right genre. Um, and I think the benefit is more, it's more so as a composer to be able to write music in particular moods and, and that once you can pick them out. I think the benefit is more for the actual writing over time because for the music libraries or, or music licensing companies, oftentimes us, our, our staff will go through the information that's provided. In our case, for example, we used to do, we used to have the composers enter metadata and then we would review it and make changes. Um, and uh, and we, we've actually just hired somebody to help us to really standardize uh, that whole pre process further. And, and we've even told composers that they no longer have to enter metadata if, you, if they don't have uh, ideas for for what the moods are and, and things like that. They can just leave it blank and we'll will take care of it. And that's the case with a lot of music libraries, for example. Absolutely. But I think as a composer, though, if you learn, 
if you learn more and more about the moods and, and the genres, it'll just make you understand um, the craft better for you to compose uh, things that will uh, target specific shows or specific listings a lot better. Um, it's so true that Here's a great example. I know we're over on time. I'm going to go an extra minute or two to tell this quick story. Uh, a gentleman sent an email to Taxi the other day, and it was a very nice email, but he said, you know, I, I submitted four or five uh, sad piano instrumentals for a listing you had, and I'm an experienced composer. Um, I've been around the block. His credentials are great. His resume is great. Um, and yet none of my stuff got forwarded. Why? And so we had our head screener take a look at it. Um, uh, the head of our A&R department also took a look at it. And I personally got involved in this one just because the guy was a gentleman and he wasn't, you know, going crazy on us. And uh, over the course of the weekend, this gentleman said, you know what, I forgot to send my song, my solo piano piece that's probably the most on target for the listing. So I hope you don't mind, Michael, but I attached an MP3, which pay, <laughs> <laughs> which our person on the other end says don't do, uh, the mystery uh, music library owner, George. Um, and I, and I uh, listened to it and I said, yeah, this piece is, is wonderfully composed um there was nothing wrong with it except it wasn't really sad it, it was somber in places but it was kind of introspective and at times hopeful um it, it kind of right. went all over the place and uh it almost sounded like it was scored to picture uh so i called the the guy up and said told him just what i told you folks and that's exactly what our head screener said and that's exactly what the screener who screened it said and by the way the screener who screened it is about as good at screening library music as you could ever hope for so three or four people all agreed that, that the gentleman was a strong composer knows what he's doing but in the end, didn't send something that was sad. We were looking for something, and this is just an example of the type of scene. But if you're watching, you know, one of these post-pandemic movies of the week that will surely be coming out sooner than later, and there's a scene where grandma's in an old age home and she sadly passes away and the family couldn't even be with her and, and they're just sitting around their house, they're quarantined as well and they're just sad and depressed and just can't get over the fact that they've lost a loved one whose hand they couldn't hold during her final moments. His music didn't sound that sad. It sounded a little somber at times, but it also sounded hopeful. So unless the scene was like, gee, it's too bad that grandma died, but I guess she's going to a better place. Yeah, if it were scored that way, yeah, it could work. Um, so here's the, there is an example of somebody who clearly knows what they're doing, but they just didn't stick to a single mood uh, throughout, and they really didn't understand. As experienced as this gentleman was, he really, really, really didn't understand what it was that he had in his hands. So there you go. And with that, I would like to thank our mystery music library owner. Do you have a, a final thought or anything be, before I officially thank you? Uh, any parting words? Well, I was just thinking about what you were saying and how that particular member 
had a lot of experience. And one thing that I've run into as well is the I made it. I already made it syndrome. <laughs> what I call that. Yeah, and uh, he and had, so by the way. Those are, those are people that maybe have been successful in the past, either with a, a label or, you know, they, they made it big in some way, or, or maybe even in, in sync licensing world, uh, they, they were huge in demand in the 90s or in early 2000s, and so they feel like they've made it and they don't, don't need to learn anymore. And because the industry changes so fast, you really have to stay humble and just keep learning and keep taking the advice that's coming in from the clients and just adapting to um, to the industry always. Even if you have made it in the past, just keep making it. Um, yeah, that was uh, just something that I thought of uh, when you were mentioning that gentleman. That's Great advice. I'm actually going to send him a link to the show uh, tonight and, and hope that he watches it because he said he's not going to renew. He's very kind and, and like no hard feelings or anything. He said like, hey, yeah. I've got all this stuff sitting, you know, on a drive somewhere. Um, and, and, you know, I'm submitting it. And I said, you'll be better off creating new stuff that really fits the request. And with that, I, I just want to say thank you. This has been a terrific show. You've been a great guest. Uh, the people in the chat room have been thank you, Michael. saying nice things about you during the entire time. Um, very, thank very you so much. I'm honored that you asked me to join, and I, I hope that uh, some of the information is uh, useful to some of the members. Oh, I think all the information is useful to members and, and even non-members who will watch this on YouTube. Um, just great educational stuff. You've got a great heart. You're very generous. And uh, I look forward to talking to you sooner or later, George. <laughs> thank you, Michael. And thank you for everything that you've done for me over the years. It's uh, It's been a blessing to to uh, be part of Taxi and still continue to be part of Taxi in a different way and uh, look forward to many years of this and many years of friendship with you. Likewise, and ju just always know that I'm phenomenally proud of you, that uh, watching you grow as a composer and a member and then watching you grow this company and most people don't know you and I tend to talk on Sundays a lot when other people are out playing, uh, you know, doing sports or doing stuff with their family. We're, we're always working and it seems like every conversation we have is on a Sunday. So I, I applaud you for giving your business uh, and your composers the attention they deserve. Um, that's it. I will talk, talk to you soon and thank you again. Thank you, Michael. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ah, that was incredible. Um, he's awesome. Uh, I want to let those of you who are regular watchers of our daily show, which is at four o'clock on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, that tomorrow, oh man, did I bring that down? I did. Uh, let me tell you what we're going to do tomorrow. So you guys, if you want to prepare for it, on tomorrow's episode of the Quarantini Happy Hour, I want to do what is your unique selling proposition? Taxi's unique selling proposition is we're, we're the world's leading independent A&R company. We're the leader. We did it first. We do it best. We continue to be the best, the biggest, all that stuff. So we can lay 
an honest claim to we're the world's leading independent A&R company. That's called a USP, Unique Selling Proposition. It's essentially a tagline, and it's really hard to come up with a good one. So for tomorrow's Quarantini Happy Hour at 4 o'clock, right here, same time, same station, I want you guys in the chat room to be able to tell me what you think your USP is, and I will judge them. <laughs> I will tell you, yeah, I think that's a good one, or it's not a great one. Um, and you could follow it up with what's your elevator pitch. So um, uh, let's say that you're at the Taxi Road Rally, our convention, and you get in the elevator to go up to your room and wash your face and brush your teeth, freshen up a little bit. And just before the door closes, a music supervisor gets in the elevator. It's just the two of you and you're riding all the way up to the 12th floor together and you've got yourself a couple of minutes alone. Hi. My name is George, George Michael, nice to meet you. And uh, the, I just saw you on a panel in there and what you said was great. And the music supervisor says, well, very nice to meet you, George Michael. Um, tell me what it is that you do. Uh, have your elevator pitch ready. So I want you guys who are gonna be in the chat room tomorrow that would like to fine tune your stuff, um, have it ready to go. And that's that. Uh, also, don't forget to subscribe if you're not a subscriber yet. By the way, we just passed 15,000 subscribers to our YouTube channel recently. So yay us for that. Um, special thanks to Ariana and Bria for all the work they do in keeping the channel healthy and getting the word out to people. Um, also, let's see, what else is I supposed to subscribe? Give us a like. <laughs> I almost got that wrong. Um, and also, don't forget that if you go into and comment down below that we are giving away a copy of Robin Frederick's awesome book, Shortcuts to Songwriting for Film and TV, to the person that leaves the best comment about this show. It'll take about 10 or 15 minutes for the show to be up on YouTube because it's got to finish processing or rendering, whatever they call that. So wait a few minutes, you know, go have a bite to eat, go chug a beer, have a margarita, do something constructive, and then come back and give us a, a like and give us a comment and you may get a copy of Shortcuts to Songwriting for Film and TV. With that, I bid you a fond farewell until tomorrow. Glad you joined us for today. Um, and uh, hope you got a lot out of it. So thanks guys, thanks for watching. And we will see you in less than 24 hours on another exciting episode of Taxi TV. Bye-bye, you guys.